Have you ever wanted to be the first to know if aliens really exist? Well, with Nebula, you can be! Nebula is the streaming service that's home to its Probably Not Aliens, as well as our YouTube channels. And the best part? All of our content goes up early on Nebula. So when we break first contact with E.T., you'll be the first to find out. That's right, you'll be able to listen to the next episode of this show before anyone else. Plus, we post bonus content that you won't find any other place. And the best part? By signing up for Nebula at nebula.tv slash probablynotaliens, you're directly supporting the show and both of us. So don't wait any longer. Join Nebula today and be the first to know if this time it really is aliens. Tristan, you have the physical book, yeah, Chariots I, uh, of the Gods. Uh, same way you did. I put a bid on this. Uh, uh-huh. It had just gone up and I put it on for, I was the first bid and mm-hmm. then I forgot about it. And then I all of a sudden <laughs> won the auction. So, and <laughs> that's the amazing. Person who I, uh, the person who sold it to me then became a listener to the podcast. So that's so funny. If Lana, if you're listening right now, thank you for that. And thank you for drawing a little clock. Uh, on the thing he sent me when I got the book, <laughs> but but yeah, so I so now we both have physical copies of this this book, Chariots of the Gods. Yeah, well, we bought it used because we didn't want to support accidentally support Eric Von Daniken <laughs> financially. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, we've got a guest today uh, because we are uh, first of all, um, welcome to it's probably not aliens. Oh, hey, we're recording. Hi, yeah. everyone. Welcome to the show. Let's introduce ourselves, Tristan. Hi, my name is Scott. Uh, Scott Nice Wonder. That's my full name. I know nothing. I'm the person on this podcast whose entire job is to sit here and learn and test the limits of microphone vocal fry. That's what I do. I'm Tristan Johnson, and I kind of know stuff. This is this is the thing. I'm the historian, but today we are stepping into the realm of theoretical physics. So I one of the first n- names that came to mind when I was like, oh, we're doing theoretical physics. Got to get Isaac Arthur on here. So I want to give a nice warm welcome to the closest YouTuber to the stars and the aliens uh, who actually did a cameo in my Ancient Aliens video back in 2018. So, yes, welcome. I can't believe it's been that long. Oh, let's say uh, I'm Isaac Arthur and the advice of my legal counsel, I know nothing about this stuff. <laughs> 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 in case anything gets wrong we'll we'll edit everything out that's wrong uh, unfortunately I, do. I know nothing about any aliens <laughs> any alien bases any alien research currently going on in building 154 at my no. <laughs> <laughs> at some point have you ever like been like I, i'm gonna keep making these videos and at one point you're gonna release one where you're just gonna get an email and be like no that's too far they're not uh, the world's not ready to know that one yet please take it down <laughs> well that was the one we always asked but we, we have the the tone that we use uh which is suicide pack technologies which is any technology that was just so uh, you know you you're too addictive to use that you had a problem you wouldn't be able to convince yourself to stop using it or that you would never know there was a problem and like that would just inevitably lead to the planet being blown up like oh we've got black holes for power sources and we found out they could escape for the lab later on but now we uh well we, we use them we're not getting off them and uh 
mm-hmm. I, I always figured if I actually came across one of those or something that was like a, a long proof that mathematically showed there was no such thing as free will, I would probably burn that and, and just let it ride. But otherwise, nah. <laughs> yeah, so on that technology, is like all I can think of is that really poorly animated uh, VR headset game from that episode of The Next Generation, Star Trek oh. Next Generation, where Wesley has to save the ship from people addicted to video games. Yeah, um, we, need to get in, we need to get him back in, in the episodes. He's been gone too long. <laughs> yeah, so uh, this podcast, we look at ancient astronaut claims, pseudo-history, pseudo-archaeology, and we try to drill deep into how well ancient aliens actually covered it uh, and give you a, a nice little um, brain dump of all of the actual history or in this case, actual physics behind uh, what's going on. And today's episode is quite different, as you know, because it's not about history. But um, we've been going through a series where we've been talking about, I guess a scientific term would be aliens getting bizet with humans mm-hmm. and making hybrids. And I don't think anybody needs to know uh, more than basic biology to know that you can't make hybrid human aliens uh, that way because there's an entire different. We can't even do that with the chimpanzees, let alone like aliens from a whole different biological tree so Ah. this uh then dovetails into a new possible explanation for the ancient aliens theory yes i think i know what it is can i can i say what it is because i watched the episode about this of course is it the theory that the greys the typical alien greys are actually not aliens but they are humans from the future who have time traveled back to our time yes is that sort of what you're getting at yep uh so so today is about time travel so get in your tardis uh, or um get in your night 18th century 19th century (laughs) yeah let's all name our favorites get in your your phone box i think i like the one that simpson had the best the toaster the toaster get in the toaster get in your hot tub time machine we're going we're going places gotta love how the simpsons made Mm. a uh uh explicit reference to a sound of thunder which is a not extremely popular short story to make an episode out of that um but yes the idea is how are these aliens breeding with us they must be humans from the future that's that is the i or they or they genetically engineered us which we covered in our episode of the anunnaki so and as we kind of missed uh in the episode itself that that is the part of chariots of the gods that um von daniken kind of got in hot water because it's uh plagiarized from hp lovecraft so um (laughs) that's that that's that's fun Yep. So today we're going to find out if aliens come from some when out there. Mm, I like it. So to start, uh, I'm going to give a little bit of what little history I can give, which is the history of us thinking about time travel, because it's actually surprisingly old. The oldest one that I think I can find is from uh, it's from India. The uh, story of King Raivata Kakudmi who travels to the heavens to meet the creator Brahma and is surprised to learn that when he returns to Earth, many ages has passed. Yeah, but it only feels like a couple days or something. Yeah. Right? That's that. They talked about this on the episode as well. Uh, I have a little note that I want to bring up. So, listeners... I will be utterly useless in this episode because not only are we talking about history, but we are talking about lots of complicated science things that I'm just I'm just going to be like an active listener 
for. But I do have some tidbits to bring up about the show that I think are funny. And when they were talking about this king, how do you pronounce their name again? Oh, don't even try with me. <laughs> hey, Tristan, can you confidently pronounce the name really quickly for me? One of my like best friends is Indian, so this is going to really um, get me in trouble. But uh, Raivada Kakudmi. All right. King Raivada, they say in the episode that when they're talking about this, you know, disappearing or for, for a while and coming back and it's been ages, they say, so matter-of-factly, yeah, and that's just what happens to time travelers. Like, as if it's a thing that they've known. Like, like it is a thing that definitely does happen to time travelers because we've asked them. It does happen to time travelers. We have one verified time traveler who d- basically oh. had something like that happen, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Okay, all right. See, I'm, I'm, my interest is peaked. Yeah. Continue, sir. Uh, next up is uh, the Buddhist Polycanon. Polycanon? Canon? mentions that time is relative. So of course the Buddhists would think of this first. Uh, And that time in the heavens sort of passes different than it does on earth. Mm -hmm. And then there is the tale uh, in Japan of Urashima Taro, which is a story of a young fisherman named Urashima Noko, who visits an undersea palace and after three days returns to find that 300 years have passed where he's been forgotten, his house is in ruins, and his family has died. A Rumpelstiltskin story there. Yeah. And then uh, there's also a story, a time travel story, in the Jewish tradition. Uh, the first century BC scholar Honi HaMagel is said to have fallen asleep and slept for 70 years, which I guess is a form of time travel. <laughs> that's a very that's a very it's a very captain america thing yeah that's even the exact period 70 years mm-hmm. fascinating 70 years uh, it, well the amount of time that captain america sleeps is from the end of world war ii until the time when the comic book is yes. published <laughs> in well so in the mcu it's 70 years in the comic books i believe it was 20 years and then he kept coming out like whoa so much has changed it's like yeah it has but like come on you're all your friends are still probably alive mm-hmm. i think i like the best version of that was in the uh, old 2099 comics that Marvel put out back in the 90s. They wake up a copy of him that's been uh, frozen for a century to 2099, and uh, he's just completely brain scrambled by that point in time. <laughs> so, oh, I bet. Yeah. And so that that's like all of like, you know, stuff in myth and everything like that. That's ancient, ancient myth, ancient fiction, that kind of stuff. Uh, but then we get to the first case of science fiction. Uh, obviously, everybody knows time travel because it is a staple of the science fiction genre. Uh, the first time travel story is uh, goes by the title of L'an 2440, Rêve s'il en fujimi, which translates from French to the year 2440, a dream, if ever there was one, which comes from the year 1770. Um, so time travel, real, real old concept that really seems to be part of our uh, part of our experience. And yeah, again, time travel in this one's depicted as a very long sleep. But um, the first case of backwards time travel comes from a Chinese novel uh, from 1460 called Supplement to the Journey to the West. 1640, sorry. Uh, And in in that book, they have magical mirrors and jade gateways that connect various points in time. Cool. Another famous one, and this is really apt because we're recording this in December of 2021, but yeah, we um, A Christmas Carol is a time travel story. That's true. At least one, yeah, two, at least two parts of it, right? Yeah. At least two, at least two of the ghosts. 
travel to different points in time. Yeah, exactly. It's fun. But then uh, the first case of a time machine is not the 1895 H.G. Wells, the time machine, like you might think. Ah. But it's actually a book by uh, Edward Page Mitchell in 1881 called The Clock That Went Backwards. That's fun. Is it, did the person, did you say that the person who sent you the book also drew a clock yes. on something? Yes, she did. Is, did you, was that on purpose? Did she For know? time travel reasons? I don't know. Is she a time traveler? Um, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to send her an email now to send me a drawing of a clock back in time when she sends it. And <gasps> so that's the origin. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. All right. Um, and so that, that that's just like the origins of time travel as a concept in fiction. So it's a very powerful cultural notion. Time being a thing, you know, the concept of regrets or uh, speculating about things that will happen in the future that are, you know, from times that long after we're dead. And those two things have always uh, piqued our imaginations. And so time being a powerful human concept sort of shows that. This is why probably my favorite physics interpretation of time as we experience it is just basically how we interpret entropy. So um, just that's that's just that's what time that time is. But um, but either way, it's such a staple that today uh, I looked on Wikipedia to find out how many movies about time travel there are. And according to this, there are over 400 of them. <laughs> or uh or no nearly 400 of them that's a lot of movies can lot. we run through the list really quickly um yeah there's no. uh bill and ted uh <laughs> bill and ted i got a 2. definitive i got a definitive no from isaac those are the three pretty much uh, once you got, three once you got a hot tub time machine and the two bill and ted's you pretty much got it that's it yeah um, but yeah, that, that, that's the cultural depictions of time travel. Yeah, it goes, it goes very much further back than I would have thought and obviously continues to this day, which is mm -hmm. also very interesting. And we're actually going to time travel to the future because it is time <gasps> to take a short ad break. <laughs> that's right. We didn't set this up uh, properly and I might edit this out, but in the future, we might play ads here in this space. We don't know yet. We've not sold any ads, <laughs> but uh, we just want to be be prepped in case that is a thing that we are uh, going to do. So, like time travel, advertisement yes. is it's theoretical at this point. <laughs> yeah. on it. To be honest, the way that this works is in the future, if we sell an ad, we will place it back here on in the past. We are sending an ad back in time to this episode. See, we're, we're, we're what's it called? We're already doing causal loops and time machine. It's perfect. Can I bring us back from the ad break to talk about this, the silliest thing I heard from this episode that I watched? Yeah. All right. So, like I said, I watched this episode of Ancient Aliens, season four, episode nine, I believe, if you want to watch it. It's called The Time Travelers, the whole episode about this subject from, from their perspective. And I want to, I wrote this down. I want to read you almost word for word. I've condensed it a little bit, but barely. I want to read you an actual line from this show because it made me laugh. Are you ready? Yeah. Is it really possible that the Nazis unlocked the secrets of time travel during their expedition in Tibet? And if so, might have ancient Tibetan Buddhist monks uh, had the knowledge of time travel thousands of years ago? 
Perhaps the answer can be found in the legends and rituals of an ancient civilization in New Mexico. It's oh boy, the, <laughs> was, was it Betteridge's law of headlines? The one says if it begins to question, the answer is no. <laughs> we go from like we go from Nazis. Then it's like, did the Tibetan Buddhist monks have this technology? Let's find out in New Mexico. That is the most ancient alien thing I think I've ever heard. <laughs> so wild that they said that with a straight face and it was just serving as a transition that's just it's this show is amazing and i need it, it's i'm glad i'm watching it because it is a delight yeah now um i'm going to talk about uh and i apologize to all scientists in advance uh <laughs> i'm going to talk about the science of time travel the science of time travel and um, so uh, you can correct me, Isaac, on anything that I say. So this is the be I've looked up a lot of stuff about the physics of time travel and whether or not it's possible. And it seems that the consensus has dwelled upon the answer. Maybe. <laughs> so so let me just, just let me just I, w- I would like to d- before we dive into it, I want to set this up. So the idea behind this episode is not that we it's not that we're saying is time travel. Could other civilizations have time traveled? Because I think that is like if you're talking about just if there are aliens, could they have invented time travel? Any anyone who's like a, an ancient astronaut theorist could say like, well, just because we couldn't invent it doesn't mean aliens couldn't, which is like a weird inverse of their whole logic about aliens inventing things like pyramids. But anyway, uh, this episode is more so about is it physically possible? Could any Anybody do it, right? It's not whether or not we have the technology right now. It's about is it possible, period. Is that right? Yeah. Is it physically possible? Yeah. Yes. I mean, there's many theories on this, but I always go for the basic idea, which says that, uh, you know, when does time travel get invented? And it says time travel gets invented at all points in history because the moment you get around to inventing it, you can go to any other place and actually have it. So it doesn't really matter if I invented a million years now because I can travel back to a million years ago and show people how to use it. That is when we start getting these kind of weird time travel problems and paradoxes that are the big reason why physics says maybe on that because so much of it has to do at that point in time with what do we mean by time travel? Like if you can go back in time, but you cause a new timeline, did you actually go back in time or just kind of do a little Z hook into a new timeline yeah. at that point? Yeah, yeah. That, I, I, that is the premise of the Michael Crichton novel timeline. Um, oh, right. Yes, that is one of, the, <laughs> one of the ways you can do that in theory. So <laughs> Yeah. So, so yeah, uh, the answer is a, a definite, a hard maybe, uh, depending on your interpretation, because there's also some answer that is yes, and we have already done it and we are doing it right now. Uh, that there are currently about a dozen people time traveling at this very moment. But uh, let's let, let, let's let's just start with um, the general roadmap of, map of theoretical physics right now because it's super duper fun. Which is that essentially uh, there are two realms, two kingdoms of physics. There is the realm of the general relativity, where things follow laws and mathematical calculations and and you know good calculus. Things follow trajectories very solid, very identifiable. And then you've got the realm of quantum mechanics where everything works on probabilistic probability curves and things don't happen. They have a chance or chance to not happen or chance to both happen and not happen um, at the same time, depending upon whether somebody's observing it. So um, yeah, I've seen Ant-Man. I know how this works. And they, the these two kingdoms both exist right now. They're both being actively developed. And 
the two have a lot of trouble being reconciled with each other. And if you have an answer to it, please write it down because there's about a dozen Nobel Prizes in your future if you can figure this out. Yeah, send us an email, uh, probsnotaliens at gmail.com if you have the answer, because uh, uh, that could be useful for future episodes and also for uh, the entirety of humanity, probably. Mm-hmm. Or very non-useful. I turned out to be a very bad thing for us to get answers to. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is that third travel, option. There's always a possibility to racist paradoxes by just erasing the civilizations that caused the paradox. That's so. true. Um, the other thing too about that is um, if we, because the idea is that if we can find this bridge between these two fields of physics, uh, some theorize that that's basically, if we can figure that out, we've basically solved the universe at that point. We figured it out. We solved physics. Mm-hmm. Um, Another line I thought though is they're kind of perpendicular to each other, which is something, something that's going to come up when you start talking about time travel is kind of this notion of uh, why we need all these extra dimensions and Part of that is we have a thing called a singularity that people hear in terms of like technological singularities and so forth, the black holes. But in math, it really just means like on the edge of a cube, that line connecting two sides, the, the you know, the, the, or the vortices of those points. Those are singularities because in terms of being on one side, on a two-dimensional sheet, or on another side of the, curve, the surface, the other side of the cube, you can't really describe that that path, that line between that that fold in terms of just that space there. The people who are living on a sheet of paper can't really describe the desktop they're sitting on very well or the thing that's going sideways up and down on it. And it's ill-defined in terms of that place. And that's what we mean by singularity uh, in topology. You need an extra set of dimensions for dealing with it. And we say with, with, with what we're trying to find right now with physics is between that quantum realm and that generalistic, you know, general relativity realm, the gravity realm, we're looking for something called quantum gravity or things like that. When think of them as the the connecting line on a cube face where one at the top there, or the top surface is general relativity and the sideways crazy one is quantum. And that line there where they connect together, that's the one we need to find because that's where all the currently interesting new physics is at, we hope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. so we're building bigger and bigger colliders to smash more and more atoms together at faster and faster speeds to get the answer. And somehow Absolutely. we'll yes. find a, we'll find, we'll make a collider and we'll smash an atom so big that we'll solve physics. That's the way that I see it anyway. <laughs> um, now, the episode I watched does propose the question, do, have you ever wondered why the the big the big collider looks so similar to the Mayan calendar oh, in that it, it looks circle. like <laughs> in, in, in that it's a circle, Tristan. <laughs> have you ever and then to that Giorgio Tsukolo says coincidence? I think not. I know that so, almost like looked to it. I have never wondered that, but I'm sure now that you've put that out there, people will wonder about hey, that. <laughs> have you ever seen a dartboard and wondered why it looks so much like, like a big galaxy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Coincidence? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so we're going to go through the different uh, realms of. We're going to go through general relativity, which is the one that makes the most sense to a human brain, uh, and talk about how they propose different forms of time travel. Then we'll get to quantum mechanics, and then we'll get to uh, string theory, which is a, a very, very, very weird attempt to try and bridge the two. But yeah, general relativity is probably the be- is probably the uh, the best uh, one that has the possibility of time travel because following general relativity, the answer to time travel is yes, it can happen because it already happens, and we program GPS satellites specifically to factor for the fact that they do that. 
because mm. um, generally this is this is the, this is the 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 real simple part of general relativity and time travel, which is that the faster you go, the slower you are experiencing time in relation to everyone around you. No, that that's special relativity, Leo. But special um, relativity, okay. Yeah, general relativity says the more massive something is, the more it's accelerating. And it says gravity and acceleration are the same thing. The more time slows down. That's why time runs just a little bit slower here on the surface of the planet. And it runs even slower, you know, inside the center of the planet or in the center of the sun or in the center of the galaxy. Just a little bit, but it's there. And that's the thing that's the biggest part of general relativity, but does still run forward, not not backwards. It's just mm-hmm. kind of the critical part there. But yes, time definitely runs different speeds throughout the universe. Yeah. So theoretically, you could time travel by going or being somewhere very gravitationally dense. Um, this mm-hmm. is sort of like I remember this because um, in a brief history of time, uh, there's the whole thing about throwing a clock into a black hole and it gets closer to midnight, but it would never actually get to midnight because mm-hmm. at some point time just stops because there's too much gravity for time to happen anymore, I guess. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. So things are related to uh, its relation to everything else. And there's no like absolute frame of reference. Hence, relativity. Um, right. Right. And that the speed, and so that that's that's one that's one fact about the universe. The second is that the speed of light is constant, and it stays the same speed no matter what. And then the third rule is that nothing can go faster than the speed of light. Those are three things. Nothing with real mass can go faster than the speed of light, or even at the speed of light. This is where you get that tachyons option, which is they might have uh, negative or imaginary mass, and. This kind of gets in the context of it works on paper for math, but you know you can have a negative dollar, right? Uh, you can have a negative gallon of water as a debit. Can you actually find in the physical universe, not the mathematical one, an example of a negative glass of water or a negative dollar, an actual quantity which is a negative value? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of tricky for that, which is why tachyons, again, are things that have a negative or imaginary mass, mostly the same thing in that kind of context. And they would begin by going faster than light. And this is just how they walk out when you take the square root of negative one there, because that's in that equation. Okay. Isaac, I'm really glad you're here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if any of that actually helped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Oh, okay. Well, um, all right. So some forms of relativity permit faster than light travel and may allow for time travel. Uh, but these depend on what uh, this depends on a bunch of things. Um but basically, at the core, time and space are essentially the same thing. And so the idea is to think of time as a direction rather than like uh, the way that we kind of experience it. That there are four dimensions and we kind of observe time in like three-dimensional slices. That we are like, if you were to think of like uh, our four-dimensional body, it's like a, a worm that goes from our birth to our death and that we are kind of experiencing it like uh, almost like a like an, like one of those like slicing MRI type things. I think one of the biggest problems whenever you're inside your own field is that you have to resist that or just say, actually, that is more or less correct. <laughs> All right. Sweet. Good. Uh, I'm, I'm one for four at the moment. Um, okay. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, as you mentioned, in general relativity, gravity affects time uh, as it does in space. And that's why, to this day, this is one of the cool facts that GPS satellites do have to uh, have programming in them that factor for the fact that they experience time differently than than Earth does, 
and this is called time dilation. People mm. always ask if this is a real thing, you know, if this is just on theory, but no, we've we've checked this stuff. We can literally, if you put a clock on a shelf above another clock and it'll accurate enough, the one that's higher will run slower. We have literally checked this at this point in time. We've put them on airplanes and actually bought seat tickets for them so they could run around the world and they are <laughs> off by exactly the amount we predicted by both special and general relativity. The satellites, the GPS, we run on this. And we checked it in tons of labs in so many ways. It's insane because when the people originally wanted to believe in this theory, they said, this is insane and stupid and wrong. And we kept testing it and it remained insane, but it didn't appear to be either stupid or wrong at that point. So we kind of eventually had to adjust our intuition. So not not just a piece of paper thing. One of those things where every experiment we've done with this has been right on the nose of the theory. It's, yeah. it's been bam, right on the nose. So this is the time travel answer that, yes, it exists. And it's yes, here. time and can definitely be exactly. slowed down in the forward sense, yeah. Um, so what I meant by there's about a dozen people time traveling right now is that there's about a dozen people on the International Space Station uh, who are experiencing time at a different rate than we are on Earth. But very, very small amounts. Uh, one of the most famous cases we did to try and test uh, well, not this, but we try to tell it was more about the health effects of being in space. But uh, astronaut and uh, now Senator Scott Kelly has a identical twin and they put Scott Kelly into the International Space Station for a year to basically see how microgravity completely destroys his body. Because I don't know if you know this, but human bodies really don't like being in space and we start falling apart the second it goes away. <laughs> um, mm. Our eyes start getting our eyes start getting bad. Our nose starts getting full. Our bones and muscles just start disappearing. It's it's absolute chaos can i just say so he scott kelly is a senator he is, is now yes said. he is a senator retired astronaut now a senator but so he, then he would be so his name is senator kelly oh and good I, god yeah that's an excellent reference <laughs> my thought is what are his thoughts about mutants because it's probably not good <laughs> and as far as i could tell he's a decent guy he is um he's married to uh gabrielle gifford the senator who uh was shot once and so he's sort of like mm-hmm. running on her like uh, kind of like to continue her journey type thing. Can I, can I just, I want to, I, I just want to make one, one final observation. Cause if I don't say this, we're going to get a lot of comments, a lot of tweets about this. So someone has to do it. Um, Tristan, technically aren't we all time traveling because we're all traveling through time all the time at, at one a rate of one second per second. That is true. We're not the people at the equator are experiencing different time based on being Ooh. further from gravity and from turning around the equator while the guys, the poles have it slower and it depends on where we are relative to whether we're twisting around towards the galactic center or not on a given over the sun and so on. Everybody has a very slightly different time rate. It's Thank minimal, you. but it's there. You know? so, Thank so, you. So I got a I got a I got a uh, quote from Senator Kelly. Um, that is uh, the probably one of the, one or the real one. The, yeah, the, the, the real, real one. This is important. <laughs> okay. Um, then, and this has to be, in my mind, one of the most petty, but also probably the most twin type flex I've ever heard, which is um, so. Whereas I used to be six minutes older than my brother, now I'm six minutes and five milliseconds older. <laughs> now I've got that over his head. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So, so he did. So he traveled. He was lived on the International Space Station for an entire year. I think he mm-hmm. used up basically his entire radiation budget because in space you can only be in space for a certain amount of time, and then you get too much radiation and you can't go in space again. Um, right. so I would always say, say space is empty, but it's not. It's just full of things that want you dead. It's very radiation. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so he is. He time traveled five milliseconds into the future. Uh, as you can tell, that's not exactly. 
uh, super impressive. But this is the same type of time travel that you want to you want to like go to like fiction. This is basically what um, Ender and Ender's Game does. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes really fast, and you know if you go real fast, if you go like this is this is small. But if you were to find out how to accelerate an object to like a decent percentage of the speed of light, you could actually get some real time travel going. Yeah, uh, we've done this with particles too. That we've gone up to like a million times the you know, the time dilation factor. Things like muons, we can only even detect them now at the ground surface level because they are so energetic when they get made in the upper atmosphere that even though they shouldn't have lived for the rest of the trip down, time is so slowed down for them that they haven't died yet by the time they get to the surface. Dang. Yeah. So, and so if you think about it in the term of time being a direction, then any object that loops back on itself is technically time traveling. Uh, so th- there's there's a few t- things that we can do to talk about that. Uh, the first one is probably a classic of time travel stuff, and I I assume is the subject of many an Isaac Arthur video, which is uh, the concept of the wormhole. Mm-hmm. So uh, the wormhole is a theoretical warped piece of space where two points in the universe are connected through. Uh, essentially time being like bent in on itself uh, in or, or space being bent in on itself. And if you could traverse one of these, then time travel could be possible because if you were to take one side of a wormhole and move it at relativistic speed, then you could tra- travel through the other end and you're technically traveling through time. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. I'm going. I'm going. <laughs> How does that <laughs> so, so you're flying to Alpha Centauri at uh, 99% of the speed of light and you get there. And for you, you've only experienced oh, uh, three years of travel rather than four. And you got this wormhole's mouth that you've been pulling on beside you while the other end, there's that wormhole back home. So you go, you take that, and now you head back home again. And you're still doing really fast speeds. You bring those two mouths back to each other. And for you, only six years has passed while back at home, only eight, you know, eight years has passed in real time. And you put those two mouths right next to each other. You step in the one and you pop out the other. And you just pop out you know, two years back in time at that point because that's the last time of that. And that works out mathematically well. Yes. And that creates what we call a closed time-like loop. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so this is, this is one part of a lot of relativity-based time travel things is that even the most optimistic time travel uh, mm-hmm. possibilities usually end up you being able to go back as far as when the time travel machine was turned on. So yeah. that would explain yeah. why in infinite time we are not just living in a sea of time travelers. And that's a really popular one like Asmo's classic Into Eternity, which probably his best book period um by itself anyway that is exactly how they do it they create the machine lets them go back in time but only to the beginning of when they made that first one mm-hmm. and under I, I should probably put the qualifier there are lots of different times of wormholes uh lots of you look it up there'll be one specific definition but there's a whole bunch of different ones the one that usually is being talked about there that only allows a time machine that would go back to whenever you made that first you know when you opened it up to begin with mm-hmm. mm. Now, all right. Uh, so, so to so on that, um, there's this is the problem about wormholes. Like, why aren't we just wormholing all over the place right now? And the answer is because yeah, uh, don't have it, enough worms. Yeah. Well, it would require something where I'm going to have to divert to Isaac on this one, but it requires something called negative energy, which is made through something called the Casimir effect. And is um, it's just a real big question mark as far as physics goes on this stuff. Kinda, yeah. <laughs> I, it kind of comes down to, and as we hear sometimes the term false vacuum and where concepts like vacuum point energy come from, the idea is usually that our universe is not quite at the bottom energy state in a vacuum, that when you're there, there is 
just some energy there. They were kind of like, think of like if you have some kind of mist or fog rolling across the ground, you know, a little thin vapor that's rolling across the ground. Think mm-hmm. of us as body on top of that vapor and the ground being the real level below that if that vapor ever goes away, everything crashes into. And that's where some people tend to feel the negative energy aspect is coming from is just that space underneath. In which case, it doesn't really allow for a lot of the stuff they'd like to do with wormholes and, and so forth. But what you can do if negative energy is an actual real thing or if negative mass is a real thing, like there are actual particles of it, then, and we're not sure if this exists, uh, then you can start doing things like choking open a black hole's mouth with it so that you can actually put something through that black hole's singularity so that it no longer would be crushed, destroyed, ruined, and uh, and stop traveling entirely. And that's where things get a lot more dicey, because again, it works on paper really well, uh, but we have yet to detect any evidence of a single bit of negative mass. And when we say we've detected negative energy, we mean kind of in the context of that, that example I gave earlier, where things are floating just a little bit off the ground. Basically that it's kind of like saying we have negative temperatures because water freezes at zero Celsius or 32 Fahrenheit, but it's not actually the real zero. The real zero is further down. Gotcha. But if you live in a place that can never get beneath that, uh, like because the entire place you live on would be destroyed if you went beneath that, it's hmm. debatable if what you're looking at there is a really the zero or if there is actually something negative. Yes. On that, like, uh, this is another question I had because I have heard that there's something related to this where, like, if we actually were to get to zero, it would cause some sort of cascade event that would basically destroy the entire universe yeah. or something. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, that, it's called a false vacuum collapse. <laughs> I think it's, uh, was it, um, dial up to 11 version of Omnicide. <laughs> um, so maybe if you do find that one out, you don't have to email us. That <laughs> well, the good news is all theory at the moment indicates that if we did have a vacuum collapse at a point, like someone does an experiment that pokes that whole reality and starts causing it all to leak down, that would actually spread out at the speed of light. So you would never see it coming. And if someone did in the galaxy huh. a million light years from here, like the, well, the nearest galaxy is not even that close, it would still take a million years to get to us. The question then becomes whether or not it would actually manage to be a Hubble expansion if they were far enough away that uh, they are outside of our cosmological event horizon. But we probably don't even need to go there. So it might not be a complete cataclysm across the entire universe, just the observable universe. Yeah, just 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 a, a, a ball of destruction that is moving Slowly as fast out as possible. Speed speed. Yes. Yeah, it's just fine. It's fine. It's <laughs> great. Good. Great, it's great, good. great, great, great. Love it, love uh, it, love just, it, love just it. The, I love hearing about all the new ways that the world can be destroyed. Uh, then oh, yeah. there's that, yeah, because there's, there's it, one- It's like supernova. You never know what's coming to what hits, though, so. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> whether it be a, a micro black hole or uh, whatever the strange matter one is, you know, all sorts of fun stuff. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, and yeah, so like, and this is interesting because uh, we kind of talked about this a little bit before the show, but like uh, when it comes to relativity and stuff like that, like this is the physics that the, as we talked about on the first episode of this podcast, the Alcubierre yeah. engine uh, theoretical warp bubble that kind of bends space is sort of using this uh, way to theoretically move faster than light. And as I mentioned, this is why negative energy is such like a wonky thing because the reason why Alcubierre's engine was considered theoretically possible this year was because somebody else found a way to formulate it in a way that does not require negative energy. Yes, and I think when I, without getting too into the weeds there, 
that might work or that might be one of those examples of an accounting error. Like when one shows that something's making a profit, so as you ignore that it has a mortgage on it. <laughs> so it's mm. it's where does that negative get drawn? It's like, well, are we at negative temperature beneath freezing or are we at negative temperature absolute zero or, or is your real zero at like the cosmic microwave background temperature, which is like 2.7 Kelvin, but shake it no colder than that. And so a lot of these cases, they are, they are, you know, we say, find me a single piece of negative energy that you can actually solidify or a single piece of negative mass and the game completely changes. But just by default, until someone gets that, I'm always going to assume that these things are basically math glitches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, we also talked about this right before the show, but there's a news story that coming out around the same time as now. But you, you kind of implied that it's pretty it's kind of overhyped. But uh, it does imply that DARPA is investing money in these sort of Casimir cavities. Uh, and so I don't know what the army thinks they're going to get out of this, but um <laughs> Also invest in all sorts of places. I, and I've had occasion to work with them uh, in a professional capacity a couple of times too. And they are wonderful. They get to do all the fun stuff. But they, you know, they, if somebody brings up something crazy, if there's any decent reason to believe it's solid, and it certainly is something like the warp drive, you got to look into it. So they do. Mm-hmm. And so they get to have the fun of poking the holes and everything or trying to figure out how to make the, you know, if this does work, what kind of weapon could be made out of it? A lot of fun mm-hmm. stuff to be done with them. But. Yeah, I don't really want to imagine what a Casimir cavity weapon would be, but okay. Um, <laughs> I just imagine it will either be nothing or the worst thing. Um, Possibly both at once. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so the, so basically the, the, the kind of conclusion on wormholes is, to make one, we would need a lot of an exotic matter that we are not really sure exists. So right. that's kind of yeah. that's kind of the problem. And now the one caveat on that is we don't have any stable negative mass. And we probably have detected in the universe that there was some, but negative energy. And, and by Einstein, negative energy would be negative mass, or the same as energy is mass e equals mc squared. If you can actually create negative energy, and again, the Casper effect implies that maybe you can then you should be able to either simulate the effect negative mass we're having or even create negative mass. And that's kind of where they're going with that. But I hold very firmly to the thing that until someone hands me a negative glass of water, I don't believe that they exist. Either they work on math. That's a good, way to, that's a good way to think about it. Um, this next time travel, so that, that's, that's the cl- book that closed on wormholes. But the next one is uh, possibly the uh, using relativity thinking of Possibly the most stupid, simple way to travel through time, but okay, and it only need you only requires uh, a piece of matter three times the mass of the sun. Oh, I do, I got one of those. So what you do is you take a bunch of matter three times the weight of the sun or the mass of the sun. Uh, then you make it into a really, 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 really long cylinder. Okay, uh, it's called a Tipler cylinder. Oh. It was uh, theorized by Frank Tipler. And essentially, it's been described as a black hole that has passed through a spaghetti factory. So you basically make a spaghetti-shaped black hole. Um, I like it. And then if you find a way to take this cylinder and spin it at a speed of a few billion revolutions per minute... Okay. Uh, and put a spaceship nearby following a very precise spiral course around the cylinder. Uh-huh. It could travel backwards in time on a closed time-like loop, according to a group called the Anderson Institute, which is, I did not know this exists, a time travel research organization. Tristan, this sounds real easy. 
I feels like we could do this. So, I mean, so- <laughs> I've eaten, I've eaten at Olive Garden. Their spaghetti is dense, so I think we're we're halfway there. Um, so some people have said that there's a problem where the cylinder, in order to do this, would have to be um, infinite like long. long. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, which is um, like it sounds like a kid answering. This is my infinite long tube, and if you move around it, um, <laughs> then you can. So, okay. so Isaac, now, to make an infinitely long thing would take an infinite period of time, too, was the other part of this. I should probably note that while I, I think Frank Tipple gets way more criticism than he should on some things, he has been known with, with good reason to, to be considered a very controversial figure in theoretical physics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I do think some people take pot shots at him unfairly, too. Um, not entirely, though. He's also one of the ones who worked very heavily on the Fermi paradox and has actually kind of the main developer besides Mike Hart or the view that I tend to take, which is that alien life is probably just very rare and intelligent form. But um, he has the uh, the basic concept does work on mathematical grounds mostly. There is some debate on that, but you do have that problem is you're basically taking a black hole. And this is what three times the mass of the sun is what you need to make a black hole, right? Uh, and you're stretching it out to be a one-dimensional line instead of a dot. And you're spinning it really, really fast. And that is essentially the notion there is you could then follow along that and swirl down and, and, and be able to reach back in time to whatever thing was first made. Problem being, again, that you'd be having to stretch that black hole, and we have no idea how, infinitely long, which we have no idea how, which take an infinite period of time, which you probably could not do. So that's all right. <laughs> so, so well, if we could do this in one impossible thing, and this is this is a thing that always has to be buttoned up with time travel or fast light travel, almost all of them rely on the following initial assumption: if I can just do this one impossible thing, I do this other <laughs> impossible thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so this, so this feels like it's got it's got some problems with this. Well, theory. I want to use one analogy on this real quick. There's a a thing in in math, a very simple problem I probably saw in high school. It says if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. And this is called the transitive property. It's really simple, right? It's the thing that says two halves equals one, which also equals half of two kind of thing, right? It, A equals C because B equals C and A equals B. And the problem, though, is that when a lot of times people are setting this up and doing the analogy on this to say A equals infinity, right? B is infinity. And C equals infinity. Therefore, A equals C. And I say, oh, I say, this is a problem because infinity is not a real number. It's going to find, and I'll explain how real quick. Picture an infinitely long line that is infinite. Now picture an infinitely long piece of paper that is finite in one dimension, but infinitely long. These are not the same things. Nor is a piece of paper that is infinitely wide and long. Nor is a sphere that is infinite in all three dimensions. They are all infinite. They are not equal. And infinity plus one does hmm. not equal itself. It just happens hmm. to be infinity. So it's, it's a whole category of things. So what gets people a lot of this math here is they're setting, they know that A equals infinity in the six case, and they know that C equals infinity, they're saying, aha, A equals C, and it's allowed to happen now. Yeah. Um, I, okay. always think that, <laughs> I always think that infinity is mathematicians trying to troll us until I realized there was that one mathematician who studied infinity until he went insane. So, um, well, you, well, I don't know how to prove that he went insane after studying infinity. Okay. You might have started there. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, sometimes you don't like spaghetti or a time churro, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. But maybe you want to just go, uh, you guys are both American. Maybe you just want to go to Dunkin' and get a time donut, which is our next Mm. theoretical time thingy. Um, This one comes from a theoretical physicist by the name of Amos Ori, which is at the 
uh, Technion uh, Israel Institute of Technology in Haifa, Israel. So this is a proposed model that would make a time machine out of pure curved space time. So if you t- if you can manipulate space time into the shape okay. of a donut, uh, right. a, a donut shaped vacuum surrounded by a sphere of normal matter, then it would uh, create an area with a warp in the space that would enable timelines to close in on themselves and you could return to visit our time. But the problem with this one is that it involves um, being able to at will manipulate space time, which is not a thing we can do. <laughs> um, More or less. We can manipulate it a little bit. Um, I mean, you're manipulating it just by taking two pieces of masses together. Now, this is very similar in concept to what's called a curving, which is where you take a bunch of black holes or a bunch of neutron stars and kind of put them into a, a donut-shaped ring. And you spin mm-hmm. them up really fast so they're orbiting too quickly to actually fall into each other. And inside here, you could hypothetically have a big you know, singularity at the center that was called the naked singularity, e.g. you could get a ship down there because not inside the event horizon of black holes, they're in a torus form. And this is kind of the same notion they're going for there. One thing that comes up in this a lot, and it's something Alistair Reynolds played around with in his very good book, House of Suns, is if you find the mathematical trick that lets you do these things, uh, and you actually make it the universe work to do it, you might be doing exactly what we say with the closed time-like loop and actually just breaking yourself off into a kind of a pocket universe or side universe where this is now no longer a paradox because you're just kind of traveling along this new one. It's, it's kind of like your Z when you're looking at timelines. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's in this case, it's more of a, a loop and a string at that point. But um, again, though, we have this topology example. I am taking a string, and I, I hate using this string analogy, but you got a string. And a string is mostly one-dimensional, but we know it's not. If I actually loop it together so that two pieces of it touch, you know, just let it fall on the ground and loop, those two things mm. are now touching. And I can crawl between those two things in real space, but I couldn't if it was only one dimensional. If it really was just one dimensional, those two points did not really touch. This is where we start getting these higher dimension aspects because in order for that string to be looped and touch and for you to cross between it, there actually has to be more than one dimension, two or three. And we kind of the same one before we start talking about doing these closed timelike loops or these other ones. They work as a non-paradox so long as there's that extra dimension, the the big long line. You're using the example of time being like a big warm thing that we travel through with like little slices. That works if I can take that big warm and connect its heads together. But you need one extra dimension above what that warm is to do that. And uh, that's kind of where that's going to end up going with the close time-like loops for that one too. To make these war lines reach and meet each other, you need an extra dimension or more than one. So if anyone's got any dimensions they want to share with us, um, yeah. we can do some time travel. It feels like we're missing some. Yeah, yeah we, we can use I a could couple use a, more. Looking for some dimensions. I'm going to put a wanted ad on Craigslist and see if anyone's got some. And they don't um, have to be big, though. They, like, it kind of goes with a sheet of paper. They can t- potentially just have an up and a downside. They'd be really tiny. And that's... Potentially so tiny, they're smaller than atom, just up and down. They don't have to be infinitely long. So we talk all these extra dimensions. Sometimes all we need is up or down. Yeah, this is, um, as far as I can tell, this is the one that is the least bonkers of all of these things. Oh, I don't like to think of any of them as least bonkers. <laughs> they're all sane on, in mathematical grounds. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, I saved my favorite and what I would call the most bonkers for last, because not only does this have... Uh, does this it uses real you know relativistic physics but uh-huh. um it it has it has two wonderful things one it has a creator with an origin story that is right out of marvel comics 
And two, um, it is made by a guy who like swears up and down that he's going to make it like soon. Yes. So so let's talk about a wonderful, wonderful man by the name of Ron Mallet. Um, Ron Mallet is a physicist who I think works at the University of Ohio. And he had uh, his father passed away of a heart attack when he was young. Uh, And that was his supervillain origin story, because as a kid who was interested in physics, when his father died, he's like, I'm going to go back in time and save my father. Oh, my gosh. Um, And it has led him on this buck wild adventure to make a time machine. Yes. This this person did show up on the Ancient Aliens episode. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) He would show up on Ancient Aliens. Yeah, so, I've seen I've seen this device you're about to talk about. So so here we go. All right. So the idea would be to rotate a cylinder of la- a laser cylinder really really fast, so fast in which that it twists time itself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's described here as um, similar to how a bubble runs around the top of your coffee after you swirl it with a spoon. And that with this, with the right geometry, you could go into either the past or the future. So this this was proposed in 2000 because it's like, hey, you could just spin lasers fashion light. You could send information backward and forward through time. Isn't this great? Yes. He's been trying to, since 2000, raise money to build one of these machines. But uh, to or at least to test uh, sending a neutron backwards or forwards through time using it. But uh, the physics community doesn't seem on board with him because... And this is how I found it in an article. The assumptions of his basic model are plagued by a singularity, which is physics speak for impossible. Um, so I'm sure you're familiar with with Ron Mallet and his his spinning laser engine. So I'm curious. I knew about the. It, it, I've heard of what you was a laser tip or so on the motion, but I, I was not familiar with him personally at this point. And I was, I, I don't want to call the idea completely crazy on something like that because so often again it works on paper and mathematically. But if you assume certain things are true, and again, usually if you assume something impossible is true. Um, lights can cause black holes. This is a, this is a key thing that comes up sometimes. Is people say, "Well, I thought you need a lot of mass." No, you don't really need mass. Black holes aren't made by having a bunch of mass. They're made by having very high energy density. And mass just happens to be a very convenient type of energy for doing that in. So sometimes we do talk about making artificial black holes, Kugelblitz black holes, by jamming a lot of light together really fast. So you can definitely do some time warping with lasers. That's the place to start off on that one. If it's a powerful enough laser, it will warp time, same as the typical cylinder will. I have no idea why rotating it would have any effect of the tip or cylinder thing on that because there's nothing really to spin. You can't really spin the laser beam the way you would like to give it angular momentum, but I could be wrong about that. I mean, that's, I never really thought about it in those terms, but I, I don't really see how that would work. But as with all these things, you get that singularity thing. And it's not to say that it's impossible. It just means it's ill defined, but it's, it's again, it's the edge of the cube where the two surfaces meet the upside and the, and the sideways side and the front and back side. They are the vortice. They are the, I don't know why I can't think what's called the thing that stretches between the two corners, the bend that is mm-hmm. named for this. I cannot think of right now. Um, mm-hmm. These things are singularities topologically, which is the way this whole comes from the first place. You cannot discuss them properly in terms of one of those sides. Uh, you cannot discuss that connection between the rope, one dimensional rope that's been forwarded on itself to have two little points touching as a loop or not. You can't discuss that properly only in one dimension, but it doesn't mean it's impossible. You just need to have those extra dimensions. And of course, then the question is, 
what evidence do we have that these extra dimensions exist? Mm-hmm. And the answer was none. We have none. Not not none at all. Yeah. Not Aww. a single iota of evidence for them. Or yeah, against, the kind, of, the kind of little button on the end of the relativistic thing, as you mentioned, is that it relies <laughs> on something that comes from M theory, which is that there are dimensions beyond the four that we know. And if they exist, if those exist, we could time travel. It, it is possible. If we could find a way to move in the dimensions that we can't see, we can go to the realm where all of the where all of the tesseracts are hiding. And yeah, now in uh, some portions of this, this doesn't even require that you actually have time travel in the sense people think you have because it says in a big big enough universe, one of infinite improbabilities. So, well, every possible thing that can exist has existed. So in every clone of this universe, every single possible you know assembly of atoms that could happen, every combination of a deck of cards that will only scale to the universal scale exists at some point. Mm-hmm. And then there's not even a such thing as time so much as there's just your pathway through these various possibilities with the assumption that it's presumably easier to step to one that's very close to your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and then then there's no time at that point in time per se. You're just, it's just your pathway through these steady, constant, flat slices of, of reality. Yeah, so instead of going to medieval France, you're going to the parallel universe where medieval France still exists. For a given value, the terms still had exist, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. This is fun. This is fun. Because like, actually, um, this kind of builds on um because we talked uh, the first two episodes we did of this podcast were about the Fermi paradox and all sorts of explanations. But one of the most fun ones that you've talked about on SFIA a bunch that I did not talk about, which is that they discover how to go to other dimensions and then they just instead of exploring space, they just explore like the the infinite dimensions oh, below. Yeah. I mean, presumably there's a neo-infinite. I mean, and, and again, we talk about large numbers. Um, people think about. Wow, 10 to the 10, that's a big number. That's 10 billion. 10 to 100, that's a huge number. And these are huge numbers. There are 10 to 8 atoms in the universe, roughly. Uh, and then we say, how many possible universes are there? And that's we have to do some new thing called uh, 10 to the 10 to the 77th, which would be a number, uh, a 10, followed by 10 to the 77th zeros. It's a that, this is huge, right? <sighs> This yeah, is a number yeah. so big that if you tried to write it down on a sheet of paper, long before you got anywhere near that, the paper would collapse under its own mass into a black hole. Mm-hmm. Oh it is gosh. one that you would actually need multiple universes worth of paper just to write the number down. Yeah. So <laughs> instead of putting Mormons on the oh generation ship to go to Proxima Centauri, we just go and explore uh, slider style, right. the universe because where uh, llamas I mean, became the dominant species on Earth. And there are vastly more alternative realities where Earth is uninhabited, but pretty much identical to what it is right now than there are atoms in this earth or even atoms in the entire universe or let alone planets in the universal galaxy so why colonize space when they are not actually an infinite number of them but a number so close to huge that it might as well be infinite all right so um basically what you're saying with everybody getting their own planet that the mormons were right Um, i was gonna say that the mormons were right Um, (laughs) the mormons they knew it everyone gets their own planet, and that would be an example of of a situation like that which would have uh well quantum always has really bad uh theological suggestions because there should be a reality right now where the statue of liberty just turned into a giant golden calf in fact, there should be billions upon billions of them. And I don't care how good you are at rationalizing things, that event is not going to happen and leave you saying to people, oh, it was just a quantum probability. This thing can happen. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> Um, yeah. Uh, speaking of which, we're going to kind of change gears now. Uh, yeah. So we got out of, out of general relativity and special relativity and all that fun stuff. And now we are going to get into the realm of the wonky, the wonky, wacky, probabilistic world of QM. 
the the third year physics class where they're all just on like just throw everything out. It's time to do probability math. <laughs> yeah. um, so quantum mechanics, the study of things at the very, very, very small level where we learned that atoms basically don't behave and they're going to just do whatever the hell they want. And the best that we've been able to do is make a very reasonable guess as to where they might be. So <laughs> essentially, like through quantum mechanics, um, if I were to smash my hand on this table with general relativity, the chances that my hand would go straight through are zero. But with quantum mechanics, the chances of my hand just going straight through is very, 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 very small. Yes. But not impossible. <laughs> but not impossible, yeah. And I would say quantum and it's it's very math heavy nature is a good reminder that, you know, I, I was beating up earlier on things that we could demonstrate mathematically, but not in reality. Quantum is a great example of things where you could uh, argue that point pretty pretty strongly. And, and one reason why people aren't completely necessarily talk about some things just being mathematically possible. As an example, you could live in a universe where they, even though fast flight travel was not possible, they both bleeded it because every time they flipped the switch, the ship had gone exactly as they'd planned it to, faster than light. When reality had just been that they had flipped the switch and they had disappeared by free chance at that moment, an exact copy of them had by free chance reassembled. Such a universe is required to exist in many worlds theory. In fact, many, many billions upon billions of them. And even though for most of those universes, the next time they flip the switch, it will work. There will be some place where they've been doing that for eons to the point that they would think you're crazy to just suggest that this doesn't work. Um, and that's that's the same thing would apply to time travel. If you have many worlds, if you have quantum like this, even though the number of realities that can happen is vastly small compared to the total number of them, there should still be a huge number of them where right now some dude has stepped into a blue police box uh, that mm. is actually a vaporizer, blown himself up, mm. and yet reassembled somewhere else in space and time by pure coincidence, has done this thousands of times so that he actually believes he has a time machine. He doesn't, but... <laughs> Everyone around him, he might as well. Yeah, so uh, maybe the Futurama argument is real, which is how we got fast, how we get faster than light travel is just by changing the speed of light. We just make it higher. Yeah, but that's an entirely different one. For that one, quantum permits the one thing just by, you know, quantum resurrections war. So if the universe lasts long enough and is big enough, you will eventually pop back up as a copy of yourself. But, uh, and that doesn't even really require quantum. But uh, the other one is, can we actually change these numbers? And and we have no idea how we would, but maybe we can. There's an episode of Star Trek, uh, Next Generation, where the Qs become a human for the while. I can't remember which one it was, not QQ, but the fourth Q episode. And they're trying to deal with the problem of, of a asteroid or something. He planet. He says, well, this is easily solved. Just change the gravitational constant. And Joy says, we don't know how to do that. And he's like, oh. <laughs> and yet these are possibilities that really should be rolling out. We've been doing, you know, we've only known what the gravitational constant was for four centuries. We didn't even know the other constants existed for more than a century. We shouldn't be ruling out this point in time that we might figure out a way to screw with them. Yeah. And there's a very high probability there are universes out there where they are different or that they are malleable, that they can be changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've never given it a shot, but I bet I could do it. You know, if I put my mind to it. Yeah, I can do anything I want if I put my mind to it. Yeah. Um, so, okay. I don't have details on this because 
Um, there's not as many quantum mechanics time machines as there are relativity time machines, but there are some concepts in quantum mechanics where through various interpretations and through a lot of misinterpretations, they could be seen as time travel. Um, the first one being quantum teleportation, mm -hmm. where um, this is super fun and really gives a lot of credence to that whole universe being a simulation thing, which is that um, atoms don't go from point A to point B. They, uh, at a small enough scale, the universe kind of has like pixels and it kind of just, and it, uh, there's no point between, it just kind of moves. Mm -hmm. um, there's no tweening animation. Well, this is what we mean by term. This is literally where we get the term quantum for, it means quantized. We assumed that if you cut something in half enough times, you can just keep cutting in half infinitely. That was the old assumption back in Zeno's day. Uh, what we got with quantum was the idea that that's not true, that there was a limit as to how much you'd cut things up. We were surprised to find the first real atom, which again meant indivisible, that thing which can no longer be divided. And in this case, we think it's probably the pixels of the universe, more, which would be like a Planck length, which is so tiny it makes an atom look like it's the size of a universe, but or a galaxy. I, I, I double check those numbers, but it's a very big difference. Mm -hmm. um, and those might be the pixels. The other one, though, is that you also get the uncertainty quantum pixels, which would be things like Planck's constant, which is the tiniest amount of momentum and position that you can simultaneously know the tiniest amount of energy and time you can send with TC now. And it's always two physical constants connected to each other, energy and time, momentum and position. And other ones I can't think of right now, but each each one has its complementary thing that you can never know the two of them in combination better than two Planck's constant. Yeah, that's the that's the Breaking Bad one. That's Heisenberg's uncertainty. Right, principle. exactly. You can yes. know... Yeah. You can know what direction it's going or what its mass is, but you can't know both at the same time or something exactly, like yeah. that. Yeah, um, mm. because 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 physics. Um, this is, I, I mean, like the most basic quantum mechanics thing is the whole uh, two slit experiment where you put light through two slits and like. Uh, in some cases, it acts like, you know, little photon marbles shooting through. And then uh, if it's not, it's like through probable, like it works more like a wave than, of probability. This is, what is my this is where my brain just starts imploding in on itself, though, <laughs> because this is like the earliest, easiest stuff that then people start going into real woo woo territory yeah. with. Tr um, Tristan, this is me every episode. Yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever you're experiencing is me every single time we sit down. Yeah. Record. But I, I just know that these I, these ideas are like possibly, and this is why I want to be very careful with the discussions here, because these are the most easily misinterpreted aspects of physics that very uh, often have translated in bad ways. And I know the double slit experiment mm. like, and the concept of observation and stuff like that is very no misinterpreted. No field of physics has given both as much crazy mysticism and, and non-crazy mysticism, to be politically correct, too, as quantum mechanics. Quantum is just... Right for that too. Yeah. And I mean, I think the, the key thing is to understand with quantum, we talk about something that's uncertainty. Imagine you had an escaped convict getting off somewhere in the woods that you knew where the, you knew from the last point of contact that, that he had broken out of the back of the uh, police wagon at, you know, 12 o'clock midnight. That's your last sighting of him. And you know that he could be moving as much as three miles an hour, but probably is only moving about two because he looked like he was limping a bit, right? Mm -hmm. And now you can actually get a good idea of what his position would be, right? But you know, it's somewhere inside a three-mile radius of the fourth mile by two hours out, it could be as much as 
six miles, but he might mm-hmm. be moving in a bit of a jagged motion. He might not be moving a straight line. He might only be moving two hours now. Might stop to rest. So you kind of have a probability distribution that puts him loosely centered on that truck out to a circle, but it's not quite evenly distributed. Simple enough concept. Everyone gets that. You know where he's at to be searching. You don't need to search more than six miles away at that point in time because he can't have got there yet. The big thing to understand with quantum is that, you know, once we pin this guy down to where he was last next sighted at two o'clock, we see him somewhere else. We start that circle off again, and that circle of where he could be since his, you know, from his last sighting expands with time. With quantum, the key to understand is that he doesn't actually have a real position that we just don't know yet. He really is spreading out of that entire distance till we pin him down again. With quantum, when we look at him and he's there, he just suddenly appears in that spot. Prior to that, hmm. he really was oozed all over the place. It wasn't a, he might be in these places. It's that a, he was. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the weird thing to understand there. Yeah. But conceptually, it's not that tricky. It's the same as with the prisoner. This atom could be in so many different positions because we don't know. And wherever we get a pinned on sighting, that's where it actually was. With quantum, we just say that's where it now actually is, as opposed to <laughs> right. saying we just didn't know it was there. It actually wasn't there yet; it was spread all over the place. <laughs> so, um, so the time. So, uh, I don't know much about what quantum teleportation is, but uh, on the pixel aspect, I imagine it's moving more than one pixel at a time. Uh, which I think some, I think I have seen stories of physicists who are basically trying to get that distance as wide as possible, but I don't. Yes. <laughs> um, you cannot go faster than light with it, even though it's the spooky action of distance that seems to go faster than light. Um, let me see if I can give an example of this. Um, I have a letter. That letter says, and this is kind of how quantum entanglement works for not working fast than light. I have a letter that says, I have made two letters. One of them is in red ink and the other is in black ink or green ink. Run one in red ink, one in green ink. And these are twins. I'm sending you one and I am sending one to your friend over there. And it turns out these letters are actually a thousand light years apart. When I open up my envelope and I read it's in red ink, I instantly know that the guy a thousand light years from me has that green piece of paper, right? Mm-hmm. But I didn't actually communicate any useful information of all that speed, faster than light. I just know now that he's got that. That mm-hmm. tends to be the kind of thing that fast, travels faster than light by that spooky action and distance thing. The only piece of information it says is the trivially obvious one. I am up, so my partner is down. With quantum teleportation, though, instead of single, sending a single atom or single pair of atoms, you can potentially send an entire state of quantum material over that might be something as big as, say, a molecule, or in theory, uh, a planet. Right? Now, could you send an entire planet this way? I have no idea how you would ever even contemplate doing such a thing, other the fact that we can obviously contemplate doing it. Um, but it doesn't allow, it doesn't really allow classic time travel the way we're thinking about it. It, it allows it in that same way that I suggested earlier, where the guy gets into a copy of the TARDIS, turns the button, mm-hmm. explodes, and mm-hmm. somewhere else in the future, somebody is assembled just by coincidence who happens to be identical to him in every way, including his memory of that last moment. There was no time travel there, but but there kind of was. And that's the quantum time travel for the most part. The It didn't mm. actually happen, but for all practical purposes, it did. And mm. that's kind of the hard problem is, did, did, did we actually time travel at this point in time? Because I have here a person who says this, who would pass any right. identification test saying he was that guy and believes <sighs> it. And the event was witnessed and recorded. That's, but, but it wasn't time travel, yeah. it was just quantum, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And it's like, um, yeah, absolutely loud on the quantum. And then, and then yeah, the other one you hit on is quantum entanglement, which is yeah. another thing that has been, uh, misunderstood. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, like these, these, um, these are the things that are cited as possible time travel, vec- uh, possible things. But I think it, it, I think it speaks more to just how little we understand this stuff than, like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, I mean, everything I said, take with a grain of salt too, because, the one thing you learn as you get into theoretical physics is that the stuff that we do know can still really fit in about one shelf in terms of raw theory, maybe even less when you really boil it all down. Uh, and the stuff that we don't know could presumably fit into something much bigger than our universe right now. There's a lot still to be figured out. Mm-hmm. At the same time, though, we got to be careful not to invent too much stuff around that because it's 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 not that it's wrong to speculate about these things, but if you speculate about them enough, people start locking into them as, as the truth or probably true because mm. people say it a lot. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's best yeah. to always have this truth backed up with actual experimental evidence. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, and yeah, then they, we've got the last, uh, the last bit we got here on, um, on QM uh, is the, we've already kind of touched on it. The many worlds hypothesis that uh, yeah. we live in, in a infinite spectrum of universes that are uh, in various different combinations of atoms at all times. And that you could quote unquote time travel to, by walking into the universe, that's exactly like the way our universe was in 1954 in that exact place place but you're not really time traveling you're just you're going to another uh dimension um and uh but like to do like actual time travel would require uh a knowledge of fourth dimensional geography that would have a that would require basically an entire fundamental re-understanding of quantum mechanics to actually work yeah um the uh, one oh sorry i was gonna say can i can i share with you a very silly when i first learned about the many worlds hypothesis i was like oh okay so does you know I, I guess I envisioned a very silly thing where like somewhere out there, somewhere, if this is, if this is real and there are, you know, infinite worlds or whatever, one of them involves me going back to spaghetti. One of them involves me boiling some spaghetti, putting my little strainer in the, in the sink and going to strain it. And every single noodle goes perfectly clean through the holes and gets, goes, passes through the whole colander. I like and into that my analogy, sink. Yeah. <laughs> And that is there is theoretically a universe where that happens and that just makes me laugh every time. Excellent. Um, yeah. One physicist named David Deutsch argued for the many worlds hypothesis interpretation of time travel, but another physicist show that even if right, any macroscopic object larger than a few thousand particles. And here's where we get real fun. This is the part where um, my brain just literally imploded. Any object larger, larger than a few thousand particles would split apart into many different versions of the universe. And Oh God, I've gone cross-eyed. So basically, by crossing over into the other universe, you are then creating infinite more right. universes where each oh of the, God. like if a person walked, uh, did a time travel through this possible way, if you were actually a person were to travel to their dimension, you would be creating billions, trillions of new dimensions by doing so. And in each, every one of them, a few atoms of that person would go into. So you would basically just be <laughs> splattered across the multiverse. Well, not, not exactly. I mean, that, you probably would never survive this sort of travel as possible. But when we talk about the infinite number of universes, we say like, it's like, oh, there's like 10 to the 10 to the 77th of them, right? 
Um, what happens if I actually can move something into another one of these? Like just just be one atom or whatever, as a person. Isn't there now a, a vastly larger number of possible configurations of that universe? The answer is yes, right? So the only way you don't infinitely get a, a vast number of infinite number of universes at that point, if you can move between them, is if you either can't move between them or you can't actually move mass between them, just information. So you basically copy yourself into these things, which kind of raises the issue of if there's an infinite number of universes where people like myself are traveling to a world that looks exactly like Earth, just minus people, and that world is exactly the same, but there's an infinite number of me's that are identical mm-hmm. coming to that exact same Earth. What happens to all those infinite me's? Is, is there just that one universe they pop in? And of course, the other follow-up question, does it matter? You know, if I find exact copies of the universe, have I actually found another copy that's identical or is it really just the same place? And kind of from a philosophical and metaphysical standpoint, no idea. It might not matter, but that is kind of what happens when we start looking at those many different copies things. If I move to another universe or if I tap on the universe for energy, am I not changing the number of states available? And that's why I support the Copenhagen theory or interpretation, because it's the one in which many worlds does not walk. So, <laughs> uh, that's the one in which the cat is either dead or alive and then gets determined to be one. Whereas many wars says the cat is either is not either alive or dead. It's both. There's a universe where the cat died and there's a universe right. where the cat's not. And what's really uncertain is which one you're in. That's mini worlds. You don't know which mm. universe you're in until you measure it, but both of those existed. Copenhagen says there's one universe and the cat is either alive or dead and is simultaneously one until you determine it, which has its own problems, but thankfully mini worlds is not one of them. It still has plenty of <laughs> multiverse possibilities, but not that particular one. Gotcha. My spaghetti is saved. So, and I should know these are mutually contradictory, right? You either all Copenhagen or you all mini wards, or you're neither. You're not both. Which, There's if I remember no, correctly, no Copenhagen Copenhagen. <laughs> the reason it's called Copenhagen is basically because all of the like big physicists had to come together and be like, "All right, what the hell are we going to do? <laughs> what the hell is going on?" Uh, and they basically are like, "We're going to pu- we're going to get a pot of coffee and we're going to sit here until we have a model of the universe that we can all agree on." And that's yeah. basically what Copenhagen was. And, and last I checked, Copenhagen was the most supported of the theories, but it's not by a huge margin. And then after that, it's mini wards. And then there are a bunch of other ones too, with some variations. But fundamentally, the proof of Copenhagen, the total experimental proof that Copenhagen interpretation is correct is zero. There is no evidence for it. The total evidence that mini wards is correct is zero. There's no evidence for it. <laughs> None of these yeah. theories have any actual yeah so to sort of put the uh to put the bell on on q on quantum time travel uh essentially just saying in not so many words what isaac's already said some experiments have hinted that some things can move faster than light like the tachyon thing but not none can violate causality which means that a particle can move faster than can possibly move faster than light but it'll either be unmeasurable or it can only be observed and measured in ways which wouldn't be possible until light caught up yeah now I'll use uh, one last analogy for, for quantum time travel that's probably appropriate. If I have a deck of cards in a certain order, if I shuffle enough times, it will return to that exact same state. When you're doing quantum time travel, you're saying that I have a deck of cards in a particular order, and if someone sits around and shuffles enough times or suffers enough cards and creates that identical deck again somewhere else in the universe, that I, what I've done there is travel between those two points, that that deck of cards has time traveled. That's how quantum time travel works. The same exact identical state has appeared twice. Mm, yeah. The practical answer is that uh, if time is infinite and time travel is possible, then we would be buried in a infinite sea of time travelers, um, <laughs> yeah. which is sort of like a time traveler Fermi paradox. Um, <laughs> and there have been there have been some fun this this guy, you'll love this. There have been some very fun yeah. time travel experiments 
which are uh, which include hosting a party and uh, for time travelers and then sending the invitations out after the party is over to see if anyone shows up. Uh, That's amazing. People people have done these. And so far, no takers. Didn't want to blow their cover. So um, so here's where they get the sad part. We have to go back to ancient aliens and the whole claims of the greys and everything like that, which is. Yeah, we've not talked about aliens too much. Let's let's, let's Um, go for it. So Occam's Razor says that the uh, most likely answer is the one with the fewest amount of assumptions. I am so sick of hearing um, of Occam's razor on this podcast. Let me have my aliens and my time travelers. And um, and the thing about this is that we are answering, hey, what if these ancient alien things that are definitely real were not aliens, but time travelers, which already presupposes that we have bought into buying the alien things. Um, Uh and uh that if any uh of these, so if any of these ancient alien claims do turn out to have real merit and the aliens have anything resembling identifiable biology, the time travel answer will probably be a better explanation than extraterrestrials because the chances of finding a time traveler are probably higher than the chances of finding a, uh, alien life that evolved on a different planet that has the same biology as us. Yeah, I, I'd say in a case like that, it's 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 trying to guess the probability when when one's got not enough of the actual data to say what those odds look like. Mm-hmm. That's um, true. And I mean, but that that's a fair statement on that too. Is like, uh, what world are you going to colonize? And we just said with the multiverse thing, you you go colonize copies of Earth rather than try to terraform some planet halfway across the galaxy that was looking like us. Well, what? Uh, and again, with you going back in time to make different numbers of timelines, you're going to go travel somewhere. Why not travel your own realities in the past when you can? take over with confident knowledge of why you actually pop you up and what the what the field of play was yeah just go to that um that 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 tv show where they went to an alternate earth in the dinosaur times that only lasted one season um <laughs> that was that was a fun that they went back they went to another universe that the that universe was the still in the dinosaur times and they were like building a colony on this other universe uh it was i can't even remember the name of the show but it land got canceled after last, one season was it was that land of the lost i don't think so let me let me let me see if i can if i can google this one real quick how old was this show uh probably like early 2000s oh, oh no. okay well, that's no not the one i'm thinking of for sure then uh all right let's see if i can get this uh oh boy if i can find this i will be actually impressed because it was like a sort of like sci-fi channel thing that lasted like okay. one season and got canceled um but uh oh wait i think i know what you're talking about hold on now i'm gonna google it terra nova we got it terra uh, nova. Yep, i was almost there i was almost there it was from 2011 lasted one season and it was awful <laughs> this is why like the only science fiction show that depicts like travel in anything that is in my mind realistic is the expanse because the only like really science fiction thing they developed in that is an engine that's very efficient. <laughs> that's there you it. go. They, uh, the fun origin story, because the person who invented the Epstein drive, which is a very unfortunate name now. Um, yeah. In, in hindsight. Yeah. No, thank uh, you. Developed a drive that is sufficient, but uh, the guy who invented it, uh, had a thing go wrong so he couldn't turn it off and so he just kept accelerating into space forever and he died <laughs> so Whoops. he died because like he accelerated so fast that he had a stroke uh, and then his thing never turned off so like the the discoverer of this drive just started like accelerating off into space forever oh, until no. it ran out of fuel <laughs> oh boy it just goes with it being really efficient matter energy conversion there it still has to it's still, it still run out of fuel but uh and then of course all the stuff with the actual aliens that that gets into the uh 
the okay, yeah, yeah, that, the Sly Fantasy Zone, but yeah, that's when it gets wonky. Yeah, but it has that same problem. So many do like Dune, and I I love Dune, but you know why in the universe of Neo Infinite Energy uh, available at your fingertips are you short of? The most abundant molecule around water. How can you be short of water or air? These things are incredibly common. <laughs> to be yeah. fair, yeah, fair. Well, I mean, maybe it's just because they don't have computers. I don't know. So my my kind of like thesis statement is: at this point, time travel is still heavily debated, and whether or not the laws of physics uh, allow it. And those with the most backing wouldn't work before the point of activation. Uh, there's a lot of big assumptions and such built on top of each other that are necessary to make this true, which is much more explainable with answers like maybe aliens, maybe it wasn't aliens, or maybe it wasn't time travelers, and it was just history. Um, So while it's not ruled out, it's just extremely unlikely. But hold on, but, but, have you ever wondered why the Large Hadron Collider looks like the Mayan calendar? (laughs) Brought it back, brought it full circle. Ah, full circle. Hey, <laughs> oh, okay, folks. Hey, folks, go. that's our show. We just, created, we show. just created a time donut there. Um, okay. <laughs> um, but first, uh, yeah, before we go, Isaac, um, you've shown an incredibly, uh, incredible depth and uh, uh, breadth of knowledge here, plus a whole lot of patience for our bullshit so oh my please, goodness um could you please tell us if we wanted to hear more about you wax uh about maybe science fiction and futurism uh on some sort of youtube channel where would they go oh you just go to uh, the science and futurism with isaac author a youtube channel or podcast available on soundcloud and itunes and if you want to hear more about time travel try to episode time travel and you want to hear more about that quantum aspect of things, look up at our episode, Infinite Improbability Issues. It's the one with the guy eating the cheeseburger at the front of it. And the quantum <laughs> cheeseburger explains everything you need to know about the topic of quantum time travel. No. Oh, my gosh. Isaac Arthur's a great listen. Um, I can say this because it's legal in my country. Very great cannabis listen. Um, <laughs> and just very relaxing overall. But yes, uh, yeah, I highly recommend Isaac Arthur. But I also highly recommend... Uh, at probs not aliens on twitter uh this podcast that's where you can follow us for more updates and and fun stuff Uh, as of this recording i know we're like three months ahead of schedule but we just passed you know a a thousand uh followers over there and this podcast has over fifty thousand downloads that's amazing we've only been doing this for two months uh thank you all so much for listening uh and it's all because of of I don't know if it's us. I don't know if it's the topic, but you guys seem to like the show and it's, it's very flattering. Uh, Tristan, where can people find more of you uh, uh, on the internet? If you want, if you want to hear me talk about something that is completely not related to the things I talked about today, uh, you can go to step back uh, at stepbackhistory.com where I talk about how the past intersect. Well, it's kind of about time travel. It's about how the past intersects and shapes the world that we live in today. Um, there you go. And what about you, Scott? Where can people find you? Oh, you can find me on uh, on YouTube at NerdSync, N-E-R-D-S-Y-N-C, where I make uh, very long video essays about uh, comics and cartoons and, and sometimes history as well. So uh, come check it out. I'm, I'm still figuring out what my channel is going to be like in 2022 uh, as I approach nearly a decade of doing this. You'd think I'd, you'd think I'd have an idea of what I'm doing, but uh, 
that. Still, still working on it. Uh, and like I said, uh, thank you so much for all the support. Thank you for leaving reviews. We're going to read some more reviews in the future and I, they're just so great and they're so wonderful. And thank you so much for telling your friends. That's a huge way that this podcast gets out to more people. So, and a very easy link to share with your friends is probsnotaliens.com. It's got all the links to Apple podcasts and Spotify and, and Google and all those places. So, uh, we just really appreciate the support. It's been a blast so far and I can't wait to, to keep going. Yeah. We're all laxing. We're all waxing uh, poetic because it's the last show of 2021. It, uh, we're going it on is, a pretty yeah. long break. Um, mm-hmm. but yes, uh, everybody, uh, there'll be no break for you guys listening anyway. Yeah, uh, no, there'll be another episode next week. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, everyone until next time, the truth is out there. Probably. Probably.